How do I get those tools that the big dogs can afford into the little dog's hands? Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on episode 597 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the founder of One Minute Media, Dan Bennett. Dan has had a meandering career journey, starting in a profession that is often considered secure, becoming an entrepreneur, experiencing big successes and financial fallout, then landing on a business model that takes advantage of his passion, expertise, and a market need. It's a great example of finding your unique value proposition. Stay with us to hear all the details. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. On my podcasts, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. We've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. Now let's welcome Dan Bennett. Dan was born and raised in the gritty city of Flint, Michigan. He's the founder of One Minute Media, a company that empowers individuals to tell their stories with great video through coursework and private membership. He's also a digital media freelancer who offers direct consultation for companies, as well as decades of experience in video production, video editing, motion graphics, sound design, graphic design, and digital content development. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Let's start off by talking a little bit about your career journey. Yeah, why don't you describe a, a little bit about kind of how you got to be where you are now? Yeah, I became a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have an engineering background, and the last job that I held in that uh, arena I was getting up at 5.30 in the morning and it was dark and I was getting out at six at night and it was dark and there was no window in the office and I felt like I was becoming a vampire. So I had to leave that journey and uh, I took a year off a little later than most folks do when they take a year off. And in that, uh, being in a band that toured and doing all our merchandise and design and all those fun things, I met a, an apparel printer. And over some time, I started uh, selling to other bands I was touring with, making a little money that way. Uh, then I got asked if I wanted a job uh, running an art department for that apparel printing company. And that was kind of my foray into like, ooh, I can be creative and make a living. And that's what wasn't happening in engineering. I was making the living. I just wasn't being creative. So uh, that's kind of the the journey going from the uh, the right brain to the left brain and the other way again. <laughs> Yeah, you can certainly make a, a good living as an engineer. I know I did that early in my career. And yes, um, the creativity part, I guess there are some engineers that can do it, but um, I think for a lot of us folks, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I don't know why it took so many years for me to realize that a majority of low-level mechanical engineering, at least in the Midwest, is taking old drawings and just customizing them to new clients, which gets boring real quick, at least for me, it did. Yeah. So how long did you work as an engineer? I was about two and a half, almost three years 
And actually, during that short time, I um, worked for four different companies and was never fired. So that shows you how volatile uh, that industry is as well. So bumpy, bumpy few years. Wow. So four jobs in less than three years? Just shy. Yeah. yeah. And actually, one of the companies that worked twice for, I was laid off and brought back and then laid off again. <laughs> Um, yeah, it is pretty volatile. And uh, yeah, one of the things I discovered in engineering is the first time that it happened to me, I was in my late 20s and I saw that there were uh, engineers in their 50s that were experiencing the same thing when it was really devastating for them, for their careers and devastating financially. It was so much harder for them to get rehired than for the, the younger engineers. I can only imagine um, my breaking point was um, accidentally finding out that I made more than my uh, professor who had the degree I was going after. That was kind of the last straw and uh, I went in a new direction. Right. And what worked well for you and what was challenging when you went into your new career path? I think what worked well for me was just being excited. Um, I realized at that point why my drafting instructor in high school was like, you're good at this. You should you know, go to school for this. It was because I was excited about creating brand new things because every project we did in high school was brand new from scratch. And that's the part I loved. So I took that love of creativity and the newfound energy that was like, ooh, you know, I've, I've been doing this Photoshop thing a few years. I've already designed all my band stuff. Now I can help other bands tell their story through my design and creativity and actually make money that's when it clicked. And that was kind of, I hadn't used the word entrepreneur yet, but that's when that journey started that I realized I could do something that I actually enjoy to make a living at and be creative at the same time. How much did you know about entrepreneurship before you uh, realized that you were an entrepreneur? Not much. That is for sure. Had an awesome single mom who brought up me and my brother uh, in the face of adversity. And she was one of five kids and the only one to go to college. So she was first, you know, generation college, and then I'm first generation entrepreneur as far as our family line goes. So I've got some interesting stories around accidentally falling into things and then making a living out of them. And uh, it wasn't until years later, I understood the word entrepreneurship and that that kind of meant like vision and finding other people to help you make that vision come true. Mm, yeah. So uh, what's the story of how you realized this was happening? Yeah, so I, I was doing seamless gutter work for my cousin's company, uh, small company, small crew. And uh, one day, my cousin's husband, who ran this company, just disappeared, literally. Uh, no one could find him. No one could get a hold of him. We had no idea where he went. I needed to pay bills. So me and another cousin, a younger cousin who also worked for the same company, showed up at the house. No one's there. So we went in check the answer machine. There was a couple bid requests. So we went and did the bids. And then a few weeks later, still no cousin's husband. Uh, so I went to the local paper, the Flint Journal, and uh, found out that we were running a two-week uh, bi-weekly ad there. So I scraped together some of the money that, that we had and continued that ad and just kind of took over the company because all of the equipment and uh, vehicle were still there. <laughs> and I did that for just shy of a year before they kind of showed back up and they're like, hey, we're going to take this down to Ohio now instead of doing it in Michigan. So thanks for holding down the fort. <laughs> so that's one crazy story where I'm like, well, I got a vision. I got someone here to help me make it happen. Let's let's make a living. But as I'm sure you can tell from the story, that came a little bit more out of necessity than it did uh, planning or anything of that nature. Yeah. It's one thing to try to figure out how to run a business when you've never run, run one before, but trying to figure it out 
and it's an existing business and there are there must be some kind of processes in place there are documents and records and you've got to go and find all this stuff plus figure out what to do with them i can only imagine what kind of effort that took it was interesting for sure and i was heavily involved in the follow-up to giving estimates and stuff like that so diving back into the beginning of initial contact and sales and estimates was yeah, fake it till you make it, I guess, is kind of the approach I took. Uh, looking back, though, it was a blast. It really was. It was a great way to uh, kind of get baptized in fire. Mm -hmm. And did you actually make money? We did. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite part. I actually made more uh, kind of running it. And again, it was small, just seamless gutters out of the back of a van. But like I made about five times as much as I did as a crew member by doing about twice the amount of work. So I was actually excited for that full year. And what, what did you do next after that? Once you realized that there was there was something behind this, what came next? Yeah, I um, was brought on as a managing partner for a uh, coffee shop slash all ages venue in uh, the town that I lived in. And it was kind of cool because the financial partner was uh, 20 years older than me. And then the kind of location partner was 10 years older than me. And then there was me. So we had these cool like gaps in between our ages, different experience levels and all that kind of stuff. And uh, also an interesting story that if I sum it up into a short, short story, financial partner had some issues in his life outside of that business and had to pull out on-site partner embezzled and had to be let go. And I was left by myself once again to figure this out. Uh, so I shifted the coffee shop a little away from drinks and more to live events. And that was kind of in my wheelhouse because, like I said, I was in a band and doing shows all the time anyway. So another one of those, like, take the wheel, let's see what happens. So, Dan, is this a recurring theme in your life? Take the wheel? <laughs> I think it ends there as far as, like, other people just dropping stuff in my lap. But it, it kind of does. Yeah, I've definitely, you know, uh, came up poor and you know, a lot of violence and abuse and surroundings that were, you know, rough and tumble. And it's always left me in a position of like, hey, man, figure it out. You know, I have a younger brother and my mom worked third shift when we were growing up. So getting them off to school and getting them fed and all those things, just they weren't a, a choice. They were just kind of part of it. So I think all that comes together into a resilient Dan at this point. Yeah, resilient Dan, who sounds very calm and together. So yeah, congratulations on uh getting through many of the rough spots that get thrown our way in life and uh, figuring out how to do something that you love and make money at it. No, oh, thank you. And I'm, I'm humbled that you say that. One of the things I hope for in my professional uh, career in entrepreneurship and stuff is to not only inspire others, but actually have a track record where I'm like, no, you actually can do this. I won't promise it'll be easy or always fun, but you can. And I, I, that opens it up so I can share things, make videos for my YouTube channel, share in my newsletter and not just be making things up, but actually, you know, have something behind it. So uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. So fast forward to today, let's talk a little bit about your current business. What's it all about? Who do you serve? How do you provide what you offer, et cetera? Yeah. So um, it all began doing uh, large jobs for companies uh, like Camaro and Harley, Pantene and Nerf, companies with big budgets with vision already. And mostly what we were doing was uh, story development. And then generally video was the vehicle that took story somewhere. And I love telling those stories. I love meeting those people. I have some incredible experiences that I could share in that arena, but it wasn't the most fulfilling. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to 
oh man, the shiny thing, I finally got it. And it wasn't quite what I thought it was uh, going to be. And then coming from Flint, where there's a lot of developmental issues as far as businesses getting off the ground, there's not a ton of uh, financial opportunity there. I would look at what I call micro businesses, not small businesses, but individuals or maybe one or two people trying to do a thing, trying to make a living. And I saw that gap and I'm like, okay, it's not necessarily... I don't like this word, but I'm going to use it. It's not necessarily fair that the big dogs get the best of me because they can afford me and my neighbors can't afford my work. And there's got to be some way to get some of those tools into their hands. And so One Minute Media was kind of born in real life from, okay, how do I how do I get those tools that the big dogs can afford into the little dog's hands? How do I do that? And essentially, very straightforward, what I came up with was helping uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, startups, make their own video. We'd be there to help. And we weren't trying to turn them into videographers. We're just trying to empower them enough to create professional level videos so they could start getting their stories out a lot more effectively and not have to pay a big video production company uh, thousands to do it for them. And they could do it on a regular basis. So kind of building that bridge is where One Minute Media started. And then with uh, lockdown and everything that came with COVID, I had to close my business financial bankruptcy, my tenants quit paying rent at my rental property. So a lot of stuff happened all at once. I call it the great Band-Aid rip of 2020. (laughs) Things went from going very well to not going at all very quickly, uh, which in retrospect, I'm very thankful for because I saw a lot of other micro and small businesses bleed out very slowly because they were trying to stay afloat and we shut down very quick. And what that did was free up time to take one minute media that I was doing in real life where I would go to someone's home office or their brick and mortar or their production space, help them get the right gear, get it set up, and to a point to where they could just sit down and hit record, and we'd be there to support and help on the back end, to taking that all digital, where people could take coursework, learn the exact same things I was teaching them in person, get into a private community where they still have all that help, and get discounted rates for editing and motion graphics and stuff like that if they needed it from us to really give an opportunity to micro and small businesses to put out great video content without having to spend you know thousands and thousands and without having to learn how to become a filmmaker <laughs> you know they just were given enough where they could create really great content on a regular basis and that's where we are now i still do consulting like direct work for some of the bigger companies because they want to they don't want to watch a bunch of videos and learn themselves they just want the good stuff as quick as possible and then we have members who are more diy and take the coursework and learn slowly and i love both you know it's it's empowering people and that's what i've always wanted to do is just help other people tell their story and do well yeah so does this feel a lot more rewarding than other things that you've done either as an employee or as an entrepreneur yeah yeah It's funny, too, because it's kind of cliche, right? Like, find your passion, make it your work, all those things, you know, and it's been a long journey, but totally worth it. And it is pretty incredible, especially, you know, I just turned 41. So I'm no spring chicken. And like, to have at this point in my life, this freshness and this like, fulfillment coming in, you know, on a weekly basis is I feel like I've accomplished more than just money or work. I've accomplished kind of a new place, you know, to uh, to thrive in as an entrepreneur. Feels good. Yeah. So one of the things that I I'm hearing that you've done, um, I guess, like in the last year or so, is align the different elements of what it is you love doing, what you're really competent at doing, who you want to serve, and identifying a clear need and desire that that your target audience wants and can pay for and is willing to pay for. Yep. 
And one of the things that I see many entrepreneurs struggle with, particularly the micro entrepreneurs, those that are doing this solo, is figuring out how to put all those pieces together and to put them together in a way that doesn't take them 20 years to do it. I sort of rattled this off in uh, less than a minute, that there are some elements that are basic elements that are really important. But the, the final piece is figuring out uh, your target audience, what they need, what they want, and what they're willing to pay for. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you, especially that final piece, how you sort of figured out what it was and, and put it into fruition. Yeah. What I identified years ago is that story development is actually the key to all this, at least my work. And the joke, not joke, that I tell all the time is that it's the medicine and the cheese. It's when the uh, veterinarian says your dog needs to take this pill, so you might want to stick it in some peanut butter and a piece of cheese. And the medicine is story. It always will be. It's great because I didn't invent it. I don't have to convince anyone it works. It's been around for millennia, and it's the way that people communicate on so many levels. And then the cheese, generally, in my world, is digital media, mostly video. We all know the importance of video, how you can build know, like, and trust through video. There's so many cool elements to it, and it's very versatile. So I feel like video is me kind of tricking entrepreneurs into telling great stories. And that approach has led me to where I really care about the interactions I'm having with them. Uh, so what's kind of like accidentally transpired over the last year as I've started over uh, rebuilt and got really picky about who I wanted to work with and making sure I was staying fulfilled and helping people are these like time blocks. And I sell these time blocks, uh, 10 hour time blocks. And the cool thing about it is it leaves space to develop as well as produce and distribute. Within one of these 10 hour time blocks, I've actually helped entrepreneurs launch a podcast from zero to actually five episodes in the can up on online, scheduled and ready to go. And then they can buy another block if they want for me to continue editing for them if they don't want to tackle that part. I've had other you know, startup companies where I brought five of their team in to One Minute Media and use that 10-hour block to train everyone, uh, get the right gear, drop ship to them, come back, help them set it up via Zoom, and then do some testing. And then the next 10-hour time block is us cranking out videos on their behalf. They film, I edit, and distribute. So it's been really cool that this flexibility kind of accidentally happened with these blocks. Everyone understands them. I don't have to go up and down on pricing. It's either you, you buy a block or you don't. And it keeps my job really easy that way. And I think it's really easy for people to understand, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'll buy this chunk of time. And we're going to be able to do all kinds of stuff with it. And at the end, you know, I am very fast at what I do and, and all that. So at the end, people feel really good about how much we accomplished and what to most people is like one quarter of a work week. So that's kind of been the approach that I've been using and people seem to like it. And it keeps, uh, keeps the books easy to keep. Yeah. Matt, how did you figure out that this model would work? It was totally accidental. There's so many great things in my life that I wish I could take credit for, but they just kind of are happy accidents. So I was trying to figure out a way to work with uh, someone who's launching a YouTube channel. And they weren't trying to be a YouTuber. They were trying to take the videos they were already making and give them a place to live that was searchable. And that's an arena I operate within. So I was like, hey, that sounds good. And they're like, all right, this is from scratch. So we need to set up the Gmail account, set up the YouTube channel, create the banner, all the different things, get a trailer up there so people know what to expect, and then we can start creating video. I said, well, before we get ahead of ourselves too far, 
let me see, you know, what I think it might take to do that. And it just happened to be around 10 hours. And I was like, well, let's start with that. Let's just do 10 hours. You pay up front. I'll knock this stuff out as quick as possible. And we'll go from there. And it worked so well that they said to me, can I buy another 10 hour block of time, even though that's not what I was calling it at the time. And that way we can knock out as many videos as possible with that 10 hours. And it just became this recurring thing. I want to point out too, that I accidentally got stuck in this like agency model with my previous company and I did not like it. That's why I was not fulfilled. I was doing a whole bunch of work I didn't want to do, but was technically able to and not doing enough work with that story development and that launching of ideas and content. And this 10 hour time block thing might sound like a, you know, recurring monthly client, but it's not because sometimes these 10 hour blocks take two months to use up. Sometimes they get used up in a week. So it really offers this cool flexibility with my clients. And yeah, it's another one of those accidents that worked out pretty good. Right. What else is part of your business model now? I feel like One Minute Media is kind of like a fork in the road. So that's generally where my sales calls start out. Another important part of the model is just being so transparent that everyone feels good, even when it's a no or it's not a good fit. Uh, so those two things have really come into play. So during those sales calls, I can say, hey, stories at the at the heart of everything I do. Yes, we have these technical skill sets, but if you're not interested in developing story, I can recommend videographers to you that are awesome. I trust them. They have great rates. You can go that direction. But if story matters to you, that's who I'm looking for. So is it, is it okay during this call for me to shut it down if I don't think it's a good fit or you to shut it down if you don't think it's a good fit? And that takes a lot of people by surprise. Like, oh, wow, there's, there's space here to like, not just nod for an hour, you know, <laughs> and go along with something you might not want to, or to have to pleasantly say, yeah, we'll talk soon and never get back to someone. And then that fork in the road is, are you DIY? Do you want the cheapest route possible? Are you good at going through coursework, watching videos and learning, and then having a little help on the back end to implement? Or do you want that direct consultation that costs a bit more, but we know we can move fast and get you exactly what you need? And I think a mix of those two things, the openness of the sales call, being able to be shut down, we're not a good fit, and that's okay by everyone, as well as you can go left or right. You want to do it mostly yourself, or you want me to do it for you? And that's all I sell. So it makes it real easy for people to get to that you know, kind of stop sign and take a turn or turn around and go home. <laughs> yeah. And what's the membership part of it? The membership right now, it's a private Facebook group. I'm looking to move that online in 2022. Uh, so far, Facebook's doing all the things I needed to for free. So that's where we're at. And I drop in content in there. I teach a lot about storytelling in there, even though People sign up for video, that's that medicine and the cheese. So I talk about video and I deliver it in a video format, but I talk a lot about what kind of videos we can make, ideas for ways to tell your story. I'm completely open as far as Q&A, so people can write the dedicated email address and get answers to any questions they have. And then I do a live every Monday that is Q&A, so anyone in the group can join in on the live, ask questions, and um, try and keep it you know, to a point to where I'm eliminating those pain points, which is really outside of like learning how to tell your own story. The real hard part is, okay, my camera's doing this funky thing. I'm going to spend the next six hours on YouTube trying to figure out what, or I'm going to talk to Dan for five minutes. And he's going to say, hey, don't touch that button anymore. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so that part's really great for the private membership as well. And it's at will. So you can go through the coursework. You can be part of the private group for two months. If you got your bearings, you can shut it down and go from there. And actually some of my 
I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but some of my favorite One Minute Media members are the ones who don't pay me anymore because <laughs> they came in, they learned, they got involved and uh, took that information and started doing interview shows and podcasts and all these cool things that they never did before using video. And I'm lucky enough that some of them are alumni. They've stuck around to help other people along the way. So yeah, it's it's fun. There's also over time, I'm identifying gaps. So that's basically like going from not being on camera to being on camera, learning how to do those things. Over time, I started realizing people were uncomfortable getting on camera and they weren't talking about it. So I wanted to start addressing that issue. So I opened what I call sandbox.video is the website, like just this sandbox, a safe place where people can upload videos, play, get critique and review, but in a safe, loving place. So instead of just throwing your stuff out online and like you know, cringing and hoping no one tears it apart. You can do it in this cool, free environment where um, everyone's kind of got the same goal and they're rooting for each other. All the way through Maven.video, which is a company I was brought in as a co-founder where you can actually put your videos in a newsletter that you own and put some of them behind a paywall and even make a little bit of money with your video content. So I'm trying to, to cover this spectrum as I grow from never being on camera or not liking it to becoming comfortable to finding out how to create your own content on the regular, to maybe even making some money off that content as a creator. Wow. Well, Dan, congratulations on um, what you've created, in particular, how you have taken what sounds like, uh, on the surface, looked like it could be a real disaster last year, and, and turning it into something that uh, people want and people love this year. If someone wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today, check out any of your... your uh, wonderful resources, et cetera, where would be the best place for them to go? I think the quickest route is I'm the antipreneur.com forward slash link stack. And that's literal, like a stack of links. And that is exactly what that page is. It's just all of my links to all of my social, my emails on there. You can get a hold of me directly. I'm not shy. I'm easy to find. And if you search antipreneur anywhere, you're going to bump into me somewhere. So know that I'm wide open. I love helping. Obviously, I have to restrict the free help, but I still offer it at some level. And uh, getting people unstuck when it comes to story and video is, is my passion. So that'd probably be the best place to start. Sounds great. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and share your insights. My guest has been the founder of One Minute Media, Dan Bennett. Thank you again, Dan, for joining us. Hey, thank you. This was awesome. And it's always cool to share your stories with someone who understands. So I appreciate it. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how to find your unique value proposition and much more. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. On my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. And we've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com tips. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.